Hello, and welcome to Label Sessions Presents. Label Sessions is a global platform that connects you to the best advice for the most interesting people. Whether you want advice, mentoring, or ideas, I'm Josh Nix, content producer for Label Sessions. And in this episode, Keisha Kijano of Label Sessions talks to Mark Lewis. Mark is a marketing leader with tenure at organizations like the BBC and Universal Music Group before founding his own consulting venture and most recently becoming one half of the Nordic Workshop Collective. Mark's leadership in marketing is undeniable and his passion for guiding teams through creative processes shine. So we know you here at Label Sessions as a marketeer, but also someone who can facilitate both difficult and complicated issues. Uh, we're excited to have you on the podcast, but maybe to kick us off, um, could you introduce yourself to the Label Sessions audience? It's great to be here. So my name's uh, Mark Lewis. I'm a both marketing consultant and a workshop facilitator. Um, I'm based in Sweden, in well, near Malmö in the south of Sweden, and uh, work with clients across the UK and Nordic countries. So my background originally uh, was actually marketing for culture and music, in classical music. I spent a large proportion of my early part of my career in that world. Um, but the last few years, and since being a consultant, I now work with companies across all sorts of industries, tackling often the very similar questions around how to get their marketing, either their resource or organization or their strategy in the right place, and often, as you said, through workshops, where I'm a, I'm a uh, trained facilitator in the Lego Serious Play methodology, and I use that tool to help my clients to visualize and to map out and plan, often at quite high level, uh, challenges that they have and around messaging or beliefs or values and how they use them. Talking about workshops for a bit, do you, what makes a good work? What makes a good workshop, and what happens when when they go a bit wonky? So a good workshop, in my experience, and to me, and what I am passionate about delivering is a workshop, a room in which everybody in the room feels engaged and feels like their voice is being heard, and that they have the ability to input and interact with all of the challenges that they may be facing as part of the workshop setup. And of course, the flip side is that as they can go wonky, as you put it, um, and that could be the fact that tech doesn't work or that on a, on a more practical level or the room's not the right shape or the tables aren't quite in the right order. But equally, of course, it could be that certain, mm. certain people in the room take over and make other people feel uncomfortable. Or you might have a certain balance of introverts and extroverts in the room and you don't quite know how to deal with either loud voices or quiet voices. So that's often the situation that can happen. Of course, also, people, what we're thinking about a lot at the moment is when workshops are the right thing to do. So just like people have meetings all the time, and over here in Sweden, there's a very big meeting, meeting culture because you need to re reach consensus from everybody, all of your stakeholders before you can make this. So sometimes meetings are not the best place to have these discussions. And likewise, sometimes workshops are not the right place to have discussions. And we use the workshop term workshop quite 
interchangeably and it's banded around a lot at the moment about, oh, we must have a workshop. So sometimes workshops don't work because they're not the right forum and format for having that a certain type of discussion. I wonder, do you, do you think people overuse them? Why you talk about not using them very well, but do you think that people just too often say, okay, we'll, we'll do a workshop on something? Yes, absolutely. And a lot of it can depend on what you want as the outcome of your workshop. And often, of course, to someone like me, I am paid by my clients to come in to do the to do a workshop. So there, of course, always is a financial element to any workshop that I would lead, which means that often people can run them internally. And if you really want to create the environment in which everybody has a voice, and also for the facilitator to be able to both interact and be part of it, as well as lead a session, often if you're in that position where perhaps you can only do a workshop internally, then maybe it's not the best forum. It's not always going to be the most effective forum for you to have that, uh, to have that particular discussion. It's like you said before, it's very interesting to see how different personalities, kind of different personality types respond to workshops. Kind of at a basic level, thinking about introverts versus extroverts or reflective people versus people that need others and like others' energy to, to shape their thinking. With with that, where does Lego Serious Play fit in? And almost what is it? So Lego Serious Play is an open source methodology, uh, methodology around, of course, a, a workshop methodology. And it's based around, in the way that I use it, the concept of being able to kind of design thinking, 3D thinking, but also fundamentally a tool which allows people to tell stories and build metaphors around particular solutions challenges and solutions so it works as you can imagine in a pretty basic way that in a workshop that i would run or that we run we have lego bricks on tables and we pose use the lego bricks and the building of the bricks to for our clients to create visual metaphors for challenges or opportunities that we pose them in the workshop so it might be, for example, one thing we're focusing a lot on at the moment is around the idea of beliefs and value systems in organizations. So, and, and, and then from that, the impact of that on external messaging and marketing and how that can liberate different forms of words or channels or approaches to how you communicate with customers. And so in that context, we might ask an organization, 12 people in an organization to build the why for their organization using Lego. But the reason for the reason that it works, I think most effectively as a, as a, uh, as a workshop tool is that the nature of building and using your hands, the power of your hands and your head, as we say, in order to liberate methodology, liberate stories and metaphors is that you have a process of building which is, a cre which is creative in its own right. And often, if you came into a workshop, as I've been in before as a participant many years ago, and someone said to me, it's an icebreaker, I'd like you to turn around and draw the person next to you. And of course, instinctively, I think, oh, I can't do art. I'm rubbish at art. I hate drawing. I don't want to do it. Whereas actually, if you give someone 
as we do at the beginning of workshops, this is a classic Lego series play icebreaker, is to give people six identical bricks and say, I want you to build the world's best duck. And because it's a def because it's a defined parameter, this is a fine challenge, but everybody has the same. Some people, of course, instinctively go, oh, I can't build Lego. How is this ever going to look like a duck? But actually, conversely, most of the time, I'd say 95% of people in our workshops know how to approach this challenge. So there's something about Lego Serious Play that taps into kind of almost childlike nostalgia for going back to building with Lego. But the actual nature of and process of building, using your head and your hands to find the answers to challenges and building something really, really third party and neutral allows people to have a voice, allows people to express themselves in a different way. And we often hear that unlocking, kind of unlocking creativity and new ways of thinking is something that comes out just from this very simple process of taking some, some plastic bricks. Uh, we've been talking with a lot of label mates that we have and a topic that keeps coming up again and again is the importance of play and how to kind of incorporate that into, into the working environment and how that unlocks creativity and just the whole way of thinking that wasn't being used before. So I think that's absolutely fantastic. I wonder with that, how, how did you discover it? How did you discover the Lego series play and how did you become passionate about the, the mythology? Multiple things. I think I came across it. Uh, I was recommended to go on some training by a friend of mine who was very good uh, teacher friend, an educational uh, educationalist who was I'd seen uh, running workshops before, and he inspired me. He was also a trade facilitator and inspired me with the stories of potential of it. But actually, a lot of what's driven my desire to use it and to learn about it and train in it has been. Mm -hmm. The fact that I've been part of too many workshops as a participant in the past that haven't worked for me. And it's not that they were necessarily bad workshops. They just, the way that they were structured didn't fit my personality type. And I think often that's probably the case for a lot of people that we, when we think of workshops, and if you Google image search workshops, you'll find pictures of people with post-it notes and slip chart paper. And I, I am slightly tend towards more introvert on that scale. And so for me to be in a room, to be told at the same time as my opinion is valid and what, and there to be voiced at the same time, I'd put in a, I might be put in a breakout group with someone who is highly extrovert and likes the sound of their own voice and knows what their opinions are. And in that situation, it's just an instinctive, natural thing for me to take a step back and go, okay. I'm just literally going to let you, I don't want to stand up and present the ideas that we've all come up with together. It's, you seem to have very much more high opinions, much stronger opinions than me. So I'm just going to let you do it. And so, although that functions, of course, in a way in the workshop itself, the issue then becomes at the end, I would leave the workshop or whatever, whether workshop's even the right word for it, I would leave that meeting feeling both like my voice hadn't been heard and therefore stroked. So the desire to find a way of using a different tool in order to, to just make these experiences better is kind of what's driving, has driven a lot of my, uh, driven a lot of the kind of business development that I've been doing over the last few years, to make this 
that methodology much wider known. So you discuss the things that can can go wrong, and you discuss about people almost, I'd call it the taking over a meeting or a workshop breakout room. But do you have any tips you can share with the label sessions audience of what makes a great workshop? What would be almost like top top tip, and then maybe like a second one? To me, the top tip is about planning organization and and the thinking in advance i often say that i would think to myself that i often spend more time in the planning of a workshop that i do in the delivery so you have to know where you're going and you have to know how to warm your audience up and warm the room that you have in front of you so that they are in the right place to be able to to deliver what you need for the room what they need for each other and i think aligned with this is about success is about uh people feeling like they have sorry and people feeling like they've delivered and they're able to deliver but at the same time as a facilitator of a workshop my role is to get the room talking and working together i often get brought into companies to do workshops who work in an industry for which I have no, which has no link to classical music or culture. But my role, but you haven't brought me into the client, hasn't brought me into the room in order to give my advice on that particular product or particular industry. However, I have a marketing background or whoever's facilitating will have some sort of background. So to be able to top tip is planning and understanding, planning your workshop and the exercises and the tools you're going to use. And secondly, is just listening. Almost active listening is the most important part. Well, the second most important part, well, that's probably alongside the planning, is when you're in there, you have to be listening and you have to be reactive to what's going on around you because sometimes things need to change and sometimes you'll need to be spontaneous and go, well, actually, I don't need to do the next work next exercise because somehow this group in this have tackled that exercise before i even got to it so what's next so to have that and that comes back to the planning so i will often have a session mapped out but i will have three or four other exercises that i can bring in if i feel like i need to pivot or be spontaneous it almost sounds like it's very much like you know tip of the iceberg is the actual workshop the kind of 70% of it is underneath the water. It's that planning, it's the what ifs, it's the... But you can't, in my experience, you can't be ready to deliver unless you have had that planning behind you. But I think that goes to the heart of a lot of reasons why meetings themselves are often a waste of time or could be 50% of the time is because people haven't prepared in advance or it hasn't been an agenda sent round or maybe the right people aren't in the room. And therefore, it's always going to be difficult to be the most effective use of time. And part of it as well is worth thinking about with when workshops are not a, not a valuable use, not the right approach, is if I have 12, 15 people in a room for three and a half hours or three hours, that is 45 hours worth of working time. And that's whatever people's hourly rates are, that's expensive. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast, for live sessions of advice, mentoring, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. 
To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team. What's kind of the biggest myth that you can bust for us on what makes a workshop kind of go wrong or go a bit astray? Time is, you never have enough time. That's the one thing I always, I always encounter with myself. And obviously, you know, well, going back to that previous point about people's hours being expensive and the number of hours in the room, workshops, because they have a, because often they have a myth around them around being, not always being 100% effective or not always 100% delivering the value that an organization or a team needs. There's both an expectation about what you can get out of this time. So with with the workshops that I run using Lego Serious Play, we the more time you have, the deeper you can go into a topic. And the longer you have, yes, the more depth and the more answers you will bring out. But actually someone said to me recently that who'd been in a workshop that I'd run that interestingly for them the last half an hour of the workshop was the most valuable almost as if you could get everything done in that half an hour if you had half an hour you could get it out my answer to them was yes but that last half an hour you couldn't we couldn't have reached that had we not had the previous two and a half hours or three hours of building the building blocks of that that workshop so it's being i think this myth about just being dispelling the myth that you or just impressing on people that you have to know what you need to achieve you know you know a good workshop needs to obviously to know what you want to come out with but to be realistic with what you can achieve in the time that you have and i know this now from experience that i know what i can achieve in two hours of the group and i know what i can achieve in four hours of the group and some of it is about particularly with lego is about how much you can physically build in that so in order to answer a challenge like what does your company, what's the belief of your company or can you build the why and the what? Building the why to do it in any proper depth requires 20 minutes. So that's 20 minutes in itself of building time. And then we're asked, then people will feed back to the rest of the room about what they've built. So workshops, so they, and particularly with Lego Serious Play, there is a defined a minimum amount of time that in order to be able to, to, to do the actual building that you need to do. But it's the same, I think, for workshops that are based around post-it notes and pit charts. And of course, I'm not saying that those don't have value. And I'd love to say that we never use post-it notes in our lectures, in our workshops. But of course we do. And sometimes a flip chart pad is really useful to have. And we and I use it and we use it in that form, in the in the in the scope of the workshop but even that takes time and how is your communications and workshops kind of the approach that you take to them how have they evolved over time i mean both in creativity as well as methodology i was looking back actually the other day at the kind of marketing copy i'd written for myself about at the beginning and the feedback that i got and when i started after having been trained and started running some test workshops within the company I was working with at the time, I went into it with having been educated in the kind of the scientific benefits of the method or the metaphor building or the design thinking element of it. 
But what was fascinating when I started running these workshops is how the main word that people used was fun. They'd had fun. And it was, as you said before, going back to this idea of play, it was serious fun. But what they valued about it and took away was this idea that it was unexperienced to have. So like with all marketing, you start to pick up the words that your customers are using. And a lot of the work I've done as a consultant in the past has been about comparing the institutional language that we use as organizations to describe ourselves versus what our customers or potential customers and audiences are talking about the same, the same area or the same kind of product. So in the context of workshops, it's easy to talk about them as being mega serious play methodology and design thinking and 3D constructionism. But actually, often what our clients want is, is um, an end-of-year team-building experience, or they want a session in which they're going to unlock creativity, or they want to collaborate together. So over time, it's about my approach has been to both build those elements into workshops, but also to, to realize how one talks about what one is selling and to notice the patterns in the feedback that I get based on the events I do. I find that so interesting and it's it it makes sense that you kind of you focus on something that is fun but then without realizing it like oh you did learn so much by the end of it so. And it can often feel a little bit for participants that that it's a little either a luxury or an oddity or a bit of both that they come in and they go, oh, I'm, I'm at work, I'm allowed to play with Lego. And the trick, of course, that we that I take from the trick of the methodology is that you feel like you're just playing. But at some point, a light bulb goes off and you go, okay, it's not just play, it's real, either personal reflection to myself about my personality in the workplace, or it could be reflection about an organization's beliefs. Going from there, it's kind of like a break from the usual, but like a, a breath of fresh air within work. Going from that, though, thinking about almost ideas for a moment, in your view, where does creativity find its home in an organization? I wonder whether it's whether it does very much in a sense. But I think it depends if you are so I think a friend of mine said this to me recently that uh, about understanding where motivation comes from in the workplace and what motivates us. And of course, part of the the joy of a good creative workshop is that it does give people fun and play and creativity. But if I look at my own personal development, the times at which I moved jobs, changed clients, changed my directors when I felt that the creativity, I'd lost the creativity or the spontaneity or the moment at which I can still some find something new and value in the work that I'm doing. So I don't know. There's a lot of, I think, often of the, and I've worked in one myself, the, 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 the odd situations of creative agency that has a ping pong table in the corner and the PlayStation and the drinks bar, but they don't get used because they're too noisy and people can't work. So I think there's a little bit of, it's a lot of idea that, yeah, it's an idea of uh, 
where fun, how fun is and how creativity should be replicated sometimes. So not in the most obvious forms. Well, then I guess what environments or conditions do you believe are most conducive to unlocking creative thinking and innovative ideas? It's a very good question. And of course, workshops are not something you can do all the time because they take time and they take time to plan all of these we talked about. So I think often it should and does come down to personal to personal belief and personal needs. For me, it's if I sometimes feel like I'm hitting a brick wall, I'll go and I'll spend the day. Lucky I can go to Copenhagen on the train for the day and I can go to an art gallery or I can go to a, a museum and I can try to just create type, to find some space and some time to have that context, to find a solution to something I'm challenged I'm facing. Of course, that's not the reality for most people who the system feels they should be at a desk between nine and five, nine till five, and creativity needs to come from somewhere else. So maybe then, yeah. So I think it's, for me, it's that, but it's also my network and the people I talk to and the events that I can go to to keep myself charged. There are kinds of a bit of self-reflection of kind of where do you get your energy from? What actually rejuvenate, what makes you feel rejuvenated versus just rested so we have a few quick fire questions to ask and i guess we'll dive straight in so question number one um can you describe your desk for our audience my desk has lots of post-it notes on it uh a lego duck and some other bits of lego that i fiddle with when i'm thinking and uh yeah two big screens <laughs> that's my desk in my kids playroom it also has a drum kit in it I get bored. Question number two. Uh, are there any, so what are your most useful websites or people to follow to stay on the pulse of your industry and what you do? I do find myself on LinkedIn far too much. So people like Simon Sinek, I find interesting to follow. TED Talks in the past I have been, uh, I've been through and watched. I was thinking the other day that I quite like going back to, in the UK, to the National Archives website whole long lists of public information films which just make me laugh I watched so I don't know a varying degree of um, news and LinkedIn in another life what would your career be pilot I always want to be a pilot I probably still do whatever reason I didn't become a pilot so if I had my choice that's why I would be flying seven four sevens or have you ever flew a plane before in any I have once many years ago but more as a one-off experience somehow it's not compatible with an immediate career change right now you never know it doesn't how would you describe your leadership style i my leadership style is absolutely collaborative and um, leading by best practice i've worked with a variety of people in the past some of whom have been micro managers and some of whom have been removed and it's just my style that it fits my way of working myself to rely on to lead by example and to try to almost have a kind of mentoring coaching relationship part of my leadership style so i've but that's my preferred way of working and i like to give people trust and space to explore and to fail and failure is really important it's the in thing right now but it is really important so 
Uh, but then at the same time, sometimes, particularly in marketing, everything comes down to the written word or to visuals. And sometimes you have to have a style that is a bit more direct, direct and with more input and specific. So it varies, but I think leadership is experienced many times about flex, being able to flex when you need to flex, change your style depending on the situation. If you were a benevolent dictator, what would be the first thing you would do or the first order that you would give? I was thinking about this because I saw your answer on LinkedIn earlier today. My first order in relation to the world of work would be to remove any description about the number of hours that people need to work in their week. I honestly believe really wholeheartedly in output, not input. So I would try to give people the best context work in the way that suits them. I find that really interesting because uh, someone else that we had on on the podcast also said kind of, well, they said that they would completely get rid of job descriptions. And I had not heard that one before, but now kind of both of you have talked about the uh, the similar thing. And I was like, oh, wow, I've never really thought about it before, but it, it makes sense. But yeah, I guess we're onto the final question. And it's a question we asked everyone on our podcast. Um, Mark, on a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? Six and a half. Why six and a half? I can't, I can't go in the middle, so I'm going slightly either way. Wonderful. Well, thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. I know that I've kind of learned a ton and you've given a lot of things to, to go back and think about. Thank you so much. So concludes another episode of Label Sessions Presents. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast no matter your platform of choice. And of course, start your journey today with us at labelsessions.com.